1995, I received a fresh new start on life. I was a freshman at Warner Robins High School, and this was a new adventure for me. Having grown up in a different school system, I was now starting in a new place where I could make new friends, and I could set new goals, accomplish them, and I could leave a legacy. I was excited in that first semester as I was meeting new people, new faces. There was such a freshness to life. And so I began to come into this group of friends. They had all gone to middle school together. They had grown up together. They all knew each other, but I was the new guy on the block. And I remember one evening they invited me to, I remember my first Friday night party in high school. It's probably not maybe the party scene you may think of, or maybe it is. I don't know. But we gathered together at this girl's house, and upstairs they had this huge game room pool table and ping pong and video games, everything. We are all crowded into this place having a great time, and I'm socializing, and then all of a sudden, a ball, a Nerf ball, comes whizzing past my face. And I'm thinking, that's strange, that's odd, why did that just happen? And so I scanned the room with that look on my face like, who's the dead man who just hit me with the salt shaker, right? And all of a sudden, I make eye contact with this guy who looks like the Karate Kid, and His eyes are big and round, and he has this crazy look to him. And I kind of look at him, and he looks at me, and and I'm out to him. I'm like, hey, did did you just just throw that ball at me? And he just kind of looked at me with the crazy eyes and went, "Mm." (laughs) nodding his head. And man, I was afraid I was going to get crane kicked or something like if I went up to him, so I didn't mess with him at that time. But I thought, man, what's this dude's problem? Like, I don't even know this guy really, and he doesn't like me. What, What did I do? And as the semester went on, there was this building tension between us. And I realized this guy has some anger management problems. And so I kind of kept my distance. But then something amazing happened that next spring of 1996. We were on a trip together, and there were a bunch of us all together on this trip. And just in a group, we started talking about Jesus. And I started sharing what, what Christ was doing in my life because I was a very new believer. And all of a sudden, this guy, the karate kid, He starts talking about Jesus as well and what God had recently done in his life. And then all of a sudden, we kind of look to each other and say, hey, man, you you have Christ, and and I have Christ. And we started sharing with each other what Christ was doing in our life. And at that moment, God put together a friendship. His name's Chad Wood, and we've been friends for over 20 years. Some of you have heard this story before, and he got to share his side of the story uh, last year when he came to preach. So I figured I'd share my side of the story. He was the one with the crazy eyes, all right? (laughs) And we had this great friendship in high school and went through some very hard times uh, a couple years there, had a a sickness in high school, and he was right there by my side, and he was struggling with some things in his life. I was able to be there right by his side, and we would study Scripture together, and we would memorize Scripture together. And this wasn't something that our student pastors were just telling us to do. It's something that we wanted to do. But the reason I wanted to study Scripture... It's because he wanted to study Scripture. And the reason he wanted to study Scripture is because I wanted to study Scripture. And for you teenagers today, I want to let you know, it is possible to have this type of friendship at your age, to love Jesus. And I know that that's not a very common thing among you, and it's not really a common thing in the world at all. But this uncommon thing was happening to us, and it became common. You get it? And so our friendship was based on Christ. And I mean, he loved Jesus. I've never met somebody who's loved Jesus like Chad Wood. 
I mean, he would wear his Christian t-shirt. He'd wear his cross necklace. He had his Bible. He had everything but the tattoos. And he has those today. So, but he had all of these things. And he shared Christ with other people. And he didn't care. It was like he wasn't trying to be the cool kid, but he was the cool kid. But he loved Jesus. And everybody knew that he loved Jesus. But nobody messed with him because they knew he was still recovering from that anger streak that God was working that whole sanctification process. <laughs> Takes a little while. And then when it came time to go to college, I chose Valdosta State University, and then he chose Valdosta State University, and we roomed together for the majority of college, and our other roommate, Jamie, who's now my brother-in-law, we're all pastors now, it's kind of a crazy thing, and we keep in touch, and you know, with, with Chad, what's so special about this is because it started at such a young age, and it is stuck. And there are people that you're around that when you're around them and you start talking about Jesus, it doesn't feel awkward. It doesn't feel out of place. It is absolutely normal. And you encourage one another. It's not, the problem with a lot of Christian circles sometimes is we want to push each other away from loving Jesus too much. It's almost like we got to have a balance, so we want to remain kind of uh, cool a little bit. You know, we want to not get too close to Jesus. And so one of the biggest struggles are, are, are in, in youth groups even where kids pull each other away from following Christ because they don't want to get too close to Jesus. That's not this relationship. I mean, when I looked at him, he, he very much encouraged me. And we started out as enemies and became friends because of God's providence, because his working in our lives. And I want to share this with you today about friendship. Because for you men in the room, very few of you actually have a friend like this. I mean, you have acquaintances, you have buddies that you hang out with, but do you have that friend, men, talking to you, do you have that friend that you can talk with about Jesus and challenge each other when it comes to Christ? We try to every month, Chad and I try to meet, he's in Warner Robins, he's a pastor at First Baptist Warner Robins, and, and here I am in, in Valdosta, so we meet in the middle in Ashburn at Shoney's. That's right. There's only a few of them left. There's one in Ashburn. And we meet there, and, and we talk Bible together, and we encourage one another, and I tell them, all the things going on at Perimeter Road. And he tells me all the things going on at First Baptist, what God's doing in his life. Do you have that type of friendship? It's, it's what I like to call the David and Jonathan friendship. Because in my life, Chad has played the David to me. He has been my David. He has challenged me when I need to be challenged. When I don't feel like living for Jesus, he has challenged me to pursue Christ, to keep pressing forward. And then, when I need encouragement, he's my Jonathan. He comes right alongside me, and he encourages me. He's been the Jonathan. He has rejoiced when good things have happened in my life. Instead of being jealous, he's rejoiced in Christ. And so today, speaking of David and Jonathan, we come to this passage in 1 Samuel 18. If you will, open there with me. We continue in our series, Pasture to Palace. And today we're highlighting this unique friendship in which God orchestrated and brought together. Guys who should have been enemies, clearly should have been enemies, should have been against each other, but they were for each other. They were friends, good friends. And they had every reason not to be. And yet we see God's working in their lives. And, and so if you're taking notes, I want to say this, that it's, we're looking at David and Jonathan, and the title is Unashamed Love. Unashamed Love. Because when I look to Chad, I can tell him, I love you. And you know what? It's not weird. It's not weird. 
I say, I love you. And, and he knows what I mean. And he looks back at me and says, I love you. Because we mean it. Because we have Christ in common. So men in the room, how many other men in your life can you look to and say, I love you? And it not be weird. You should think about that. Because these men could look at each other, David and Jonathan, and say, I love you. And it wasn't weird. Although some people like to look to the Bible, look to this story, and say that there was something weird going on. There wasn't. So let's look at it today. So three things we're going to look at. One, Jonathan submits himself to David's leadership and authority. Number two, David and Jonathan's friendship was built on a genuine love for one another. And then number three, David kept his covenant with Jonathan. So these three things we'll look at. Hopefully you got those down. If you didn't, hey, it's all good. I know you didn't. We're going to get them as we go along. So number one, Jonathan submits himself to David's leadership and authority. Read with me 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul sent him or set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So as Jonathan submits himself to David's leadership and authority, the thing we notice is his humility. This is right after Saul had asked David, hey, so where are you from again? Whose son are you? Because it's starting to click with Saul of who his replacement's about to be. And here's this humble little shepherd boy that just slayed Goliath, this great giant of Gath. We looked at that last week. and You looked at that this morning in a community group. So I want to remind you here, because when we look at this story, it's, it's as, almost as we look at this with eyes that Jonathan just couldn't cut it. So there needed to be somebody more brave, more bold, more powerful to come in, and that's David. That's not the case at all. I mean, Jonathan was no cupcake. He was a warrior, and we see this um, in a couple passages, but I want you to know he wasn't just sitting back and enjoying being the king's son. I mean, he was right there in the mix. In fact, he was a commander over a thousand men. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 2, we see as he was a thousand, a thousand were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. Verse 3, Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Gibeah. And the Philistines heard of it. So he went against the Philistines. And he defeated the Philistines. So he is a warrior. He is strong. He is bold. This is Jonathan. He's not just the king's son who's afraid of war. No, he's been in war. He's been tested. He is approved. Now, I don't know why he went and stepped forward to face the Philistines other than everybody was afraid of Goliath. And there was not a man among Israel's army that could step forward. It was because of David. God had selected David. But here we see this man who was a warrior. 1 Samuel 14, we see this account where Jonathan and his armor bearer defeated some of the Philistines by themselves. He said, hey, come with me. We're going to go sneak up on these Philistines. We're going to fight with them. They say, hey, come down. We're going to come down. I think they defeated over like 20 men at that point. And they set panic into the camp of the Philistines and among all the people. And in verse 15 of Psalm, or 1 Samuel 14, it says the garrison and even the raiders 
trembled. The earth quaked and became a very great panic. So word spread of this man named Jonathan. They were afraid of him. They were fearful of him. I mean, he stepped up by himself. He brought his armor bearer and said, man, let's go do battle. He wasn't afraid to fight. He was a man of war. And yet, with all his accomplishments early on in life, we see him forfeit his role. He forfeits his rights in order to serve David. So when he steps up and he is knit together with David, he's dying to his own selfish desires. And it began right after David's victory over Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, as we get later into the story, Saul, his father, will get upset with him. And he will remind him of something. As his anger is kindled against Jonathan in verse 31, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. He's saying, listen, as long as David's around, you're not going to be king. You're not going to rule. You're not going to come after me when it's my time to go on. You're not going to come behind me as long as he's alive. And that's okay with Jonathan because he's already submitted that to David. There's a wonderful picture here that we will gain, that we will see in just a moment. But he already saw David as king, as ordained by God. Jonathan was very aware of this because he was around. He was close to his dad when his dad acted in disobedience. And it was told to him, you will no longer be king, but I will choose someone else to be king. Jonathan heard that. Jonathan knew, and he notices it in David, probably before anybody else does in the battlefield. So he comes close to him, and he see this picture of Jonathan dying to himself and submitting himself to the king, the true king, the chosen king. You see, when we look to Christ, we forfeit our lives as we look to King Jesus. We die to ourselves. Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In order to follow King Jesus, you must die to yourself. You must deny yourself of all your hopes, all your dreams, all the things that are owed to you, that you think are owed to you. You die to that. And you trust that Christ is your life, that he is the king, and you want him to reign over you. As long as you're here on this earth and throughout all eternity, this is the picture that we receive as we look to Jonathan and David. This is the picture we have in Christ. And understand this. We were fighting for the wrong army. We were enemies of Jesus. Enemies of the cross. Do you get that? When it comes to us in Christ, there was nothing favorable in us, nothing lovely in us, nothing desirable in us that Jesus would say, I want to be your king. I mean, you're lovely. You're beautiful. You're obedient. You're kind. I mean, you just naturally get this. You pick up on this whole holiness thing. You're wonderful. Come on, be my people. No, we didn't get it. We were against it fully. Romans 5a, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us sinful position in this outright rebellion Christ dies for us why so that we can have a king if he doesn't initiate this we have no king 
If we have no king, we are under the mastery of Satan. And we are enslaved on this earth. And when we go to stand before a holy God, we have no hope. And don't think that Satan will stand there to plead your case. No, he will accuse you of all of your wrongdoing. He is the great accuser. There's no more wicked lawyer than Satan. And so here we are under King Jesus. We forfeit our lives. And Jonathan forfeited his life in order to follow David's leadership. And Jonathan was knit to David. I love this word. They would knit together. 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Knit together. This is God's providence. This is David needing a Jonathan in this moment and Jonathan needing a David. If we, if we will continue on with this story, you'll see that they both needed each other. Men and women, you need this kind of friendship. First and foremost, you need this kind of friendship with Jesus. And I know we're kind of hesitant to talk about friendship with Jesus because it's that whole Jesus is my homeboy thing, you know, and Jesus is my friend. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't treat me like that. No, that's not the kind of friendship I'm talking about, where you're no longer enemies, but you're friends with Christ. This is your first friendship you need. And then you need a solid friendship on this earth. Men, you need another man. Ladies, you need another lady. You need this type of friendship. You may not have this friendship. Pray that God would knit you together with someone. That you can have this type of friendship that we are seeing today in Scripture. So our greatest need is Jesus. That we can be knit together with the King as we place our faith and trust in Him. And then also to be knit together with others who are like-minded. And when I'm talking about being knit together, I'm talking about a David and Jonathan relationship. I believe both love the Lord. Do you have a friend that loves Jesus? That's going to push you on because you're going to need that. Somebody dared ask the question this past week. Can you really just keep going and growing without the church? No, you cannot. You cannot. You're not meant to be a lone ranger Christian. Quit thinking so much of yourself. You fall short. I fall short. We need each other desperately. Amen? And to those who remain silent, maybe you just don't like the amen out loud. I get that. But if you're remaining silent because you don't agree, you're going to discover it, that you need somebody. We need each other. Men, you need another man in your life. Ladies, you need another lady in your life. Knit together looking to Christ. So then there's this covenant made when they're knit together. Jonathan enters into a covenant with David. 1 Samuel 18, verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Why did they go into a covenant with each other? Because they had to? No, because they loved one another. There was true love there. And let me just explain to you, a covenant is a serious vow that was not meant to be broken. And there was this whole weird thing when you made a vow, like you put your hand under each other's thigh and you sat down on it. We won't get into all of that today. It's kind of crazy, but that's how they did it in their culture. I would not suggest that that's how you pursue friendship today, <laughs> all right? Um, but that's how they did it back then, just so you'll know. But when you enter into this, it's my life for your life. 
My life for your life. Do you have a friend who would tell you that? My life for your life. Man, I would stand in front of a bullet, man, coming your way. I would die for you. My life for your life. That's what Jonathan is telling David. I will give my life for you. Will you give your life for me? It's the kind of friendships we need. It makes all the difference when we enter into times of discouragement and you know that you have that friend right there alongside you who's not giving up on you. But also to highlight that Jesus brings us into the covenant. A covenant which we did not establish, but he established for us. In John 10.10, we know that the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. That's his job, and he's, he's doing a very good job of that. But Jesus came and may have life and have it to the full. So when we trust in Jesus, and, and the way we trust in Jesus, we believe that he lived for us and that he died for us on the cross. He rose from us, and he'll return again. When we believe these things, and we trust in him as Savior, he brings us life, and life to the full. It was his life so that we may have life. His life so that we may have life. So we have these friendships one to another, my life for your life, but when it comes to Jesus, it's his life which he gave so that we could have life, so that our lives would be dedicated to following him. So that we don't enter into this covenant selfishly. We say, oh, I still want some of my life, Jesus. Jesus says, no, you die to yourself. It is now me living through you. And this is the covenant that we come into. This is the covenant that we enter into in a thing like marriage. And may I just highlight this to you husbands, to your wives, you ought to have this type of friendship. Now, I know that may kind of get weird because I'm talking about two men, but you must have this type of covenant friendship with your spouse. May I talk to the young just for a second? Up here, up front, scattered about. You may think that marriage is about intimacy. And I'm talking about physical intimacy. And you may think that that's what's going to drive your healthy marriage. And there are a lot of people who say, I remember one guy in college one time, he said, man, I'm ready for Jesus to come back. But before he comes back, I hope I can get married first. I'm like, man, you're missing it. You're missing it. No, 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 no. There's nothing greater than Jesus coming back, even marriage. But when you have marriage... You see, what he was thinking is, man, he wanted a physical part of marriage. And you think that that's what drives your marriage? Man, if you think that's what drives your marriage, you've missed it. It's friendship. It is friendship. It is covenant. And maybe right now, man, you're, you're being a terrible model when it comes to friendship. And you say, well, what do I do about that? Yeah, you're right. What, what do I do? You repent of it. And you pray that God would so knit you close to your spouse that you may be a friend to lead her. Ladies who are married in the room right now, you may be a terrible friend to your husband. You may be tearing him down. And maybe today you're being a good, faithful wife. And thank you for that because it's Father's Day. But listen, encourage him. And you're realizing, you say, what do I do? Repent of that. That you may be a good friend and be knit closely together. Because that's what's going to drive your marriage. To glorify God. It's the covenant that we make when we get married. Till death do us part. And they enter into a covenant as lifelong friends. 1 Samuel 18 verse 4. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. And his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. 
He gave him all his armor. He said, here's the best. I give it to you because I know you're coming from the fields. And man, all you have is that sling, and that's great. But come on, man, you're going to be king. Let's, let's get some armor here. Right? He says, here, take mine. Take mine. They exchange each other's weapons. Each other's enemies. Each other's friends. Jonathan fully trusted in David's leadership. And in this moment, he is like a heavyweight boxer, a champion who takes off his belt and says, here you go. Man, you're the champion. You're the champion. You are God's chosen. Your enemies for my enemies, your friends for my friends, even when it comes to Saul, even when it comes to Jonathan's own father, Jonathan would stand up for David. First Samuel 19 and 20, Jonathan protects David from Saul. I mean, in that time, Saul even threw a spear at Jonathan because he was so angry with him that he would stand up for David. But Jonathan did not submit to the old ruler. He submitted to God's chosen man. So once again, we see a wonderful picture of us in Christ. We, as followers of Christ, trust in his leadership, him leading our lives, conquering all our battles, defeating an enemy, listen, that we could not defeat. As we are born again to follow Christ, we submit to his leadership and authority. So following Christ, entering into this great friendship, not only the greatest of benefit to us for eternity, but it leads us to be good friends to others. And number two, we see that David and Jonathan's friendship was built on a genuine love for one another. This was a genuine love. See this in 1 Samuel chapter 20, uh, verse 17. Actually, look with me in verse 16. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul, as he loved his own self. Love others as you love yourself. I mean, I think we hear that from Jesus later on, right? And, and get this picture. I mean, these weren't two wimpy men. Two sissy men. These are men that we need more men like this today. We need more men like this today. Too many sissy men running around today. Get the feelings hurt way too easy. Uh, way too easy. Get the feelings hurt. These guys right here, strong men, warriors. And you know what they're telling each other? I love you. I love you. I love you. Don't care who hears it. I love you. And see, we think we can't say that, men, because we'd be considered wimpy or weird. I can't tell him I love him. He may not call me back. He may not. This may seem weird to you. Because many men are afraid to say the words, I love you. And I don't know why. I mean, I do know why. I mean, there's multiple reasons is what I'm saying of why you don't say I love you. It could be because your dad, growing up, never told you he loved you. Or maybe he didn't tell you very often because he was a proud man. And so you're not used to saying I love you to others. Listen, my dad is terrible at giving hugs. The wor- I mean, it's the most awkward thing. I mean, when I was in college, it was like kind of like a Going in, like, where are we going in, Dad? What are we going to do here? What's going to happen? And all of a sudden, I said, stop. Look, let me give you a hug, Dad. Let me hug you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to hug you good, man. All right? 
And this is how you're going to hug me from here, here on out. This is how we're going to hug. This is what we're going to do. And he said, all right. Every now and then, still the same. I'm like, uh-uh, i got to retrain you. Come here. Come in. Why? Because as he grew up, he didn't receive hugs like that. And you know what? I, I want to let him know I, lo- I love you. Like, I love everything that you have done for me. Like, I want to show this appreciation. Man, why must we be ashamed to do this? I am your son. You are my dad. God ordained this. Let us rejoice in this. But you can also have this. One man to another. One woman to another. And it be pure and godly. But a lot of times it's like this. Hey, man, I love you. I love you, man. I love you, pal. I love you, dude. You know, we got to put that little catchphrase at the end, right? Because we can't just pull out and just say, I love you. It gets a little awkward at that moment. Let it get awkward. Let it get awkward. Man, just go ahead. Right now, pull out your phones. Some of you are already on Facebook. Bust it. Get off. All right, now listen. All right. <laughs> pull out your phone. You just text your friend. Just say, I love you. Leave it at that. Just see what happens, man. It may totally wiggle them out. All right, but listen. With this, what we're looking at is having a true love for each other. David and Jonathan could say to one another, I love you. It was manly. It was genuine. Do you have a genuine friend? Do you have a friend that you love? you love, that when they succeed, you celebrate that success instead of getting jealous. And when they fail, you cry, you hurt with them instead of going, yes, I've one-upped them. You have that true genuine friend? Because this was a genuine friendship. One that you love as your own soul? Do you you have that friend? One that you trust? And you will be exposed when you have this type of friendship. You will be exposed. Jonathan risked his life for David. And Saul tried to spear him. To spear his own son. I started this morning saying I got a Nerf ball thrown at my head. Jonathan had a spear thrown at his. From his dad. Because he loved Jonathan. Or because he loved David. Here's what happens after that. After that moment, David is hiding in the field because Jonathan's telling him, hey, man, I'm going to shoot some arrows. We're going to do this whole weird thing. Like, I'm going to shoot arrows, and if I shoot them too far, that means you better get out of here because my dad's coming after you. It's actually pretty genius. 1 Samuel chapter 20, starting verse 35. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. And as the boy ran, he shot the arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. Verse 41. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another. And David, weeping the most, 
Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So Jonathan spares David's life, and he reminds him that we have this covenant between my offspring and your offspring. Don't forget the covenant. The same way when we enter into friendship with God, we come through Christ. Our hope is in Christ saving us. Enemy to friend. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a question I have for you. Do you have peace with God today? Are you at peace with God, or do you find yourself an enemy of God? You say, how do I become an enemy? You've always been an enemy from birth. But you can have peace with God today by looking to Christ Jesus. He is the only hope of saving you from the wrath of God. And so as we enter into this relationship with Christ, we are made right with God Not only that, but as I said a minute ago, we have better friendships with those around us. And Proverbs speaks of this. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So you have a friend who will wound you with the truth. You have a friend that sticks closer than a brother who loves you at all times. This is the friendship that we are speaking of. Through God's providence, David needed a Jonathan, and Jonathan needed a David. And you need friendship. Friendship where you are a Jonathan to somebody and a friendship where you are a David to that same person. And it's no boasting matter if you're in a relationship with somebody and it's a, I'm the David and you're the Jonathan, as if one's any less than the other in this friendship. Well, then look into number three. David kept his covenant with Jonathan. So when he says, hey, remember the offspring? Here's what I think. I think Jonathan knew his time was coming soon or he was going to die. He says, hey, remember the offspring. We've made this covenant. This covenant lasts forever. First Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And here we see the faithfulness. And as we fast forward into the story, Jonathan dies in battle, and you can pick up on this in 1 Samuel chapter 31. And he dies at the hands of none other than, you guessed it, the Philistines. His enemy for his whole life had been the Philistines. He defeated them, and there were times he stood back from them, and then finally he died by the hands of the Philistines. And on that same day, his dad, Saul, died, and his brother died. 
And Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, who by all accounts was a healthy little boy, five years old. You know, it's heartbreaking to think of, of the little one this week in Orlando and what happened. It's even more heartbreaking when people start to give advice of what the family should have done. I mean, really? <laughs> in that moment? But this is one of those moments, too, where you could easily look at the maidservant who was taking care of Mephibosheth. He was five years old. And when they heard that Saul and that Jonathan and the others had died, she picks him up to run, to flee, and drops him. And when he falls, he's crippled. And he's never the same again. Five years of age, healthy child, falls, is crippled. No longer walk the same. And just think about Mephibosheth. I mean, as a, as a five-year-old, what promise, if you're looking at it just from the earthly perspective? I mean, Saul was his granddad, and his dad being Jonathan, and then him. I mean, there's this promise of kingship in the future from the earthly perspective once again, and now he is crippled for life. And what's going to happen now that his dad is gone and that his granddad is gone? Well, we're going to see what happens through God's love and kindness. Once he is then crippled, time goes on. And even after his friend is gone, David remembers his covenant with Jonathan. And we see his loyalty here, his faithfulness to the covenant. And he takes in Mephibosheth. This is David's kindness, which represents love. This word kindness shows love. It was custom for the king to wipe out all the remaining family members of the old king in this situation. And instead of going and killing Mephibosheth, David asked this question in 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for the sake of Jonathan? For Jonathan's sake, that's why I want to show him kindness. And so here are three things I want to point out. And I want to come back to this in the future and just do a whole other message on this because so much parallel for us to gain from here. But one, we see the undeserving kindness of David towards Mephibosheth. And David said to him, do not fear. Why would he fear? Because he's probably afraid that David's going to kill him. He says, do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. You're inheriting the kingdom. You're, I'm giving you something that you don't deserve. This undeserved kindness because I loved your father. I loved Jonathan. And then Mephibosheth's response. He says, Behold, I am your servant. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? I'm a dead dog. I'm of no value to you, David. I can give you nothing of myself. Why do you want me at your table? 
This is a humble response. And then here's David's following response. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. And now he was lame in both feet. The response, David keeps his covenant. He lets him sit at the table. Not by the door like a dead dog. Hey, I'll feed you scraps, whatever you want. Just don't get in the way. Don't inconvenience me. No, come to the table. Come to the table and eat because you are a king's son. Oh, this is rich. What a good friendship. Do you have friends like this? Who would take care of your family when you're gone? You have this type of friend. If you don't have this type of friend, pray that God would so knit you together, but that you would be this friend to somebody else. But there's something greater here. There's something greater. We are like Mephibosheth. Crippled, lame from birth. This may be hard for you to hear, but according to what we see in the Bible, you bring nothing of value to God. You say, no, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute now. Let me tell you my accolades. For all of sin that falls short of the glory of God, you bring no value to God. You say, but don't I have value? You can. But in order to have value, you must first acknowledge that you have no value that you can bring before God. This is true repentance. This is recognizing that God would show you undeserving kindness. What could David have done to Mephibosheth? He could have killed him. He could have killed him. What can God do to us? He can kill us. He can. With his wrath. Why? Because we have sinned against a holy God. And here's our response. But hold on. I've done so much good before him. Even your good works, man. No, there's sin. It's a slap in the face to a holy God to think that you could do any good without him. You are the Mephibosheth. I'm the Mephibosheth. As followers of Christ, we bring nothing to the table but our crippled selves. Here God shows us undeserving kindness. Why? Why? Because of His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the only reason that God shows you kindness is because of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the only reason. The only reason that David shows Mephibosheth kindness is because of Jonathan. The only reason that God shows us kindness is because of His Son, Jesus Christ. The only reason. The only hope. Jesus Christ and Christ alone. There's no other reason than that. We should be wiped out because we are servants of the Most High, but we were a dead dog. Do you know what this means? 
It means we're humbled by our sin. We're humbled at who we are without Christ. And then in Christ, we are even more humbled by what he has done and shown towards us. We know what should have happened, but in Christ, and only in Christ, we know what will happen, what awaits us with the Father. And then finally, we have been brought to the table to have fellowship with King Jesus. Now, some of you may feel like although you're a Christian, you can't offer much, and that God just kind of looks at you with this constant disappointment, like, come on, are you ever going to get this holiness thing? Are you ever going to continue in your sanctification? You're always going to struggle with that sin? Oh, you sinned? Oh, surprise, surprise. There it is once again. You failed me. And maybe that's how you feel before God. But God has said, come to the table. Why do you come to the table of fellowship? Because you are a son of the king. And you eat at the table. You're not just fed scraps. You're not just treated as some dead dog. You're not just some inconvenience to God. No, you may feel that way in the world. But you haven't inconvenienced God through salvation. He pursued you. He called you. He made you new. You respond in repentance. You have value because of Jesus Christ. This is good news. Like, you should leave this place understanding that, and you should go proclaim this to the world. This is our only hope. And when we have this understanding, it spurs us on to serve him and to love him and to be so grateful that we're no longer enemies before God, but we're friends. We're sons and daughters. And this leads you. Can you see how this leads you just to be a better friend to someone else? Because all pride is put aside. And when it came to Jonathan and David, all their pride was put aside. Just a recap. Jonathan submitted himself to David's leadership and authority. We saw his humility in this. David and Jonathan's friendship was built on a genuine love for one another. We see trust. And David kept his covenant with Jonathan. This is faithfulness. How does this relate with us and Christ? We must humbly submit ourselves to Christ's leadership and authority. This is salvation. Friendship with Christ is built on his genuine love for us. And when we receive this genuine love, we then love him back. And finally, Christ will always keep his covenant with us. David always looked after Mephibosheth. He never kicked him out because he was of no use. God will never kick you out once he receives you in. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ today? If you're not, and you're fighting against God, that is a losing battle. And you can find support in the world. You can go to wherever you want to hear the happy things. But God's Word assures us of what's to come for those who reject God. Today, repent of your sins and trust in what Jesus has done for you. Follow Christ. And if you are a follower of Christ today, I hope this is encouraging to you and sends you out to 
continue to live in holiness and that you approach your friendships this way. Maybe there's a friend that you did have and something came between you. And after hearing this message today, you go, that really should not come between us. Go to them. Go to them. Quit waiting on them to come to you. Go to them. Make it right. I'm going to say this one more time. If you do not have this type of friendship, begin praying. You know what happens? You know what we're saying when we don't pray? We're saying, I got this, God. I got this. Make any excuse you want to why you don't pray. But the reason we don't pray is because we're telling God, I, I really don't need you, God. I can pursue this whole friendship thing on my own. If you don't have a friend like this, pray for it. Pray for it. Men, challenge you this week. You got that friend? Tell them you love them. Tell them why. Build on these friendships. You need this friendship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you that we could look to David and Jonathan and learn about friendship. Lord, thank you that we see the bigger picture of our relationship with Christ. Thank you that you have saved us from our sins. We as the church can trust in you and the good work that Christ has done. Father, I pray for everyone in this room that they would have a David and Jonathan relationship. Father, I pray before that that everyone in this room would have a relationship with Christ. Bring salvation today, Lord. And may we have an unashamed love for you and for others. In Jesus' name, amen.